Hi, I'm Leah Potter. And I'm Meredith Roten, and we're two news editors at the GW Hatchet. This is the Hatchet's weekly podcast, Getting to the Bottom of It, covering the happenings around Foggy Bottom and GW's campus. I'm here with staff writer Jared Gans, who this week worked on a story about the absence of a permanent director for the Colonial Health Center. Thanks for coming on, Jared. Good to be here. Tell me, how long has it been since the CHC had a permanent director? The CHC has been without a permanent director for about a year and a half now since Glenn Eggleman, who was the first director of the CHC, stepped down. And now Sissy Petty, who is the dean of the student experience, has been the interim director for about six months now. And we talked to Eggleman last week. What were his major concerns about not having a permanent director? One of Eggleman's main concerns about not having a permanent director was that there is no one who really specializes in all the different aspects that the CHC handles. So in terms of integrating physical health care with mental health care, Eggleman feels that a permanent director needs to be someone who is well-versed in health care issues and not someone who is also working as another position and may struggle to fully give the CHC the attention that it needs. When Eggleman led the CHC, what were some of his priorities in terms of changing the CHC and improving student health care? Eggleman had a number of priorities for the CHC before he left. He had a two-year plan which never went into effect, but the plan wanted to create a more uniform student experience for students who are going to the Colonial Health Center. He wanted to integrate healthcare between physical needs and mental needs. He wanted to make an easier process for students making appointments, to name a few of his main goals. Now, without a permanent leader for the CHC, several students have raised concerns about the status of leadership for the Colonial Health Center, but also have wanted to start discussions about changes they hope to see made. What were the initial plans to elicit student feedback regarding the CHC? One of the initial plans to consider student feedback was to hold a number of town halls this semester for students to come and basically just discuss what issues they were having with the CHC and with healthcare on campus. However, the town halls have now been indefinitely postponed until the CHC can further evaluate the results of a survey that was sent out about students' feelings about healthcare on campus. What are students saying are some of the major concerns that they have regarding the CHC at this time? We spoke with Peek Senshra, who is the former president of the Student Association, and he said that it is essential to have a permanent leader for the CHC so that leader can advocate for more funding for the Colonial Health Center and ensure that all the medical needs that students have are met and that funding is not an issue. But the status of these town halls is currently pending. Right. Sissy Petty said she met with student leaders from the Student Health Advisory Council earlier in the semester to plan for these town halls. She said that the group suggested a few topics for the town halls, and she suggested to those leaders that they wait a little bit longer to analyze data from this survey that was sent out to students. And what did officials say was the status of the search for a permanent director for the CHC? 
Sissy Petty said that they have been conducting a peer assessment and looking at the best practices of fellow universities who offer an integrated model of medical and mental health services. They said that they have been visiting other colleagues at, a different, at different schools around the country and that they are working with a search fir firm to identify what the best job description is for the position. Well, thanks for coming on, Jared, and be sure to give us updates about the search for a permanent director of the CHC. Absolutely, we will do. Meredith, this week, one of your reporters worked on a story about an assessment of the university's president. Earlier this week, the chair of the Board of Trustees, Nelson Carbonell, sent an email to all community members, faculty, staff, students, about the presidential assessment that was announced last fall. So we knew last fall that part of the president's contract was that he was going to be reviewed every two years. That was the first time they'd ever done that for a president and made it part of his contract. But now we have more formal steps about what this process is going to look like. So in the email, the chairman described the process of having interviews with faculty, trustees, students, and staff. And also there's going to be a series of open forums for people, anyone who wants to, to just come out and say what they, what they think of what the president has done so far and the job, the kind of job that he's doing. The chairman also said in the email that the assessment will examine the effectiveness of the president and just try to get feedback in general about his institutional priorities. He has his institutional priorities listed on a website for as his strategic initiatives and he's interested in improving philanthropy and improving the student experience improving research at GW, and the last priority is strengthening the relationship between the university and its medical facilities. Throughout the year and a half that the president has been here, he's been updating that website with things that he's done, but this is the first chance that the community is going to give feedback on the things that he's done in, in that capacity. And aside from the university, who else is involved in this review process? That is another update that the chairman gave in this email. He announced that Sally Mason, who is a senior fellow at the Association of Governing Boards of Universities and Colleges, will be a, the consultant on this and she'll kind of take the lead just so that there's an objective kind of person in this process. The organization that Mason works for has done the, these kinds of assessments in the past. It's one of the things that they do, so she has those qualifications and that experience. What the university is asking her to do is conduct the interviews with the campus community. Aside from the updates directly from the university, what did outside experts have to say about the status of the review? They said in general that this is a good practice to get into. It's a very thorough way to evaluate the president, um, which can just help hold him accountable to his goals and make sure that the university is actually meeting the marks that it set for itself and improving. There was one expert that said it was also beneficial to make sure that the student perspective was getting in the review um, and that the open forums are open to students because that perspective is just kind of unique and something else that other stakeholders won't be able to talk about as much. Other members of the community won't be able to talk about as much. One downside that an expert pointed out was that in public forums, sometimes it can attract people who just want to air their grievances and so it may not necessarily be the most constructive way to have a conversation about what's wrong at the university and where the growth actually has been and how the job the president is, has been doing because 
Some of these issues have existed before the president arrived at GW, and so it may ne not necessarily be reflective of the job that they've done if individuals are just coming forward to talk about what issues they're having. Well, thanks for giving us an update about the presidential review process, Meredith. No problem, and as soon as more information comes out, I'll keep you updated. I'm here with Hatch's staff writer, Nia Lardy, to talk about a story she worked on about the Vern. Nia, tell us about your story this week. So, my story is about the Vern and how um, students that live in the Vern, how they feel about the student orgs and if they're integrated on the Vern um, as they are on Foggy and if like, the student leaders are accommodating of that. What did you find out? So, a lot of people said that their student organizations aren't accommodating of the fact that they live on the Vern. Um, when meetings get out at 10 o'clock, they don't realize that instead of having a 10-minute walk back to their dorm, they have to walk to Funger, 10 minutes to Funger, and then they have to wait 30 minutes for a VEX, and then, like, they have to get back to the burn. So it can be, like, an hour commute. And so people said that they ended up Ubering instead just to get back home quicker. Are student orgs trying to do anything to accommodate students better? So I talked to Bridget Anzano, the president of College Democrats, which is like one of the biggest orgs on campus, and she said that she knows that their org doesn't have the strongest presence on the Vern and that they can improve it. She would be really interested in participating in a Vern org fair. And she, the College Democrats has it written into the Constitution to have one, one of their two freshman representatives from the Mount Vernon campus just to make sure that there's representation still because she acknowledged the fact that a lot of the e-board is upperclassmen and they don't have as much interaction with the Vern, especially after freshman year. Did students who live on the Vern have any suggestions for what would make their life easier? So some students said that they would appreciate more communication with Oregon Foggy. Um, some students said that it's difficult for it to be solved either way. I did talk to one student who ended up moving from the Vern to Foggy just because he's in a lot of theater things and he would just get out so late and like the hassle of getting here and getting back was too much for him. One girl in West Hall, her name is Dahlia Haddad. She's a freshman and she's the public relations officer and marketing director for club sports and she also participates in improv sketch comedy group. Um, she said that while like vexing up to Foggy can be annoying, there's no real way to fix the problem because the majority of students are on Foggy. Like she said, it's a it's a catch-22. It's like going to the suburbs to host a music festival because all the music festivals are in the city and all the suburb people have to commute in. Did you talk to anyone who wasn't having a problem on the burn? I did. Some people said that their student organizations are very accommodating and that the fact that's one of, that they said that the fact of their student organizations not being as integrated on the burn or not seeing posters like some students said there could be more posters on the burn like as there are in foggy dorms just comes with living with the burn like if you want to be involved then you're going to have to make a sacrifice and back up to foggy oh well thanks for making the track out to the burn for us <laughs> thanks for having me With spring break just around the corner, our culture editor, Lindsay Pollan, has some places that you can visit if you're staying in D.C. for spring break. Lindsay, what places did you find? Yeah, so one of the places we found is the Line Hotel in Adams Morgan. What's really nice about this hotel is that it's recently opened, and it has really grand and monumental architecture, so it feels really luxurious. But at the same time, the rooms are pretty basic, but still remain classy. And there's three restaurants, two bars, and a coffee shop all inside the hotel, so you really don't need to leave if you want to just, like, 
stay in bed and order room service. There's 24-7 room service. They have a huge gym if you want to work out. But if you still want to leave, it's in Adams Morgan, and there's amazing dining and going out options. It's within walking distance from Pitchers, the Town Tavern, Johnny Pistola's. So it really has everything all bundled up into one. And is it relatively affordable for the average college student? Yeah, so it's about 180 a night, which is a little bit steep. But if you're splitting it among friends and you and your friends are staying here, it ends up not being super expensive. And tell me about the restaurants that are within the hotel. Yeah, so one is on the lobby level, and it's called Brothers and Sisters, and it is inspired by both Asian and American cuisine. Um, and they have an all-day menu with wok fried mussels, but they also like have a burger, and they also have afternoon tea, and they have really good desserts too. So if you just want to like go downstairs, have some tea, have a slice of cake, um, and not splurge on a full dinner, like that's definitely an option too. And then upstairs on the second level is called A Rake's Progress, and it is all local cuisine from the mid-atlantic everything is sourced locally and it's more american inspired and what about the bars in the hotel what is the vibe yeah so it gets pretty happening on the weekends just because i think it's a hub for people to come to after work but there's two of them so it's never going to be too crowded and people kind of spread out into the lobby and there's also cocktail service to the rooms so if you don't want to hang out by the bar and interact with other people that's always an option as well what if you want to get out of the city and get more into the suburbs of dc where could you go so if you're looking to get out of the city and kind of explore more of the dmv area Alexandria is a really good option because it's metro accessible, which is really nice. So you don't have to pay a lot of money to get out there and you could kind of use that money to explore when you're there instead. And there is also a newly renovated hotel there called the Kimpton Lorian Hotel. And there's a spa there too, which is super nice. And there's also a restaurant inside the hotel. But if you don't want to stay inside the hotel, which I would recommend you don't just so you could like explore because there's like that old timey like european feel of old town alexandria which is really cute and a nice change from the district you can explore alexandria through the dc metro food tours and it takes you through old town alexandria so you can not only eat a lot of good food but also explore the city and on the tour which is about three to three and a half hours long so you're definitely going to be full after you get a stop at different gastro pubs have some seafood there's a Lebanese restaurant that you get to stop at, and also a fish and chip shop that Anthony Bourdain visited, which is pretty cool. And even though it's $65 per person, um, which is a little bit expensive, you're getting a taste of all the different restaurants in Alexandria, which is really nice because you're probably only going to be there for a weekend. Well, thank you for providing us with some great ideas if we're staying in D.C. for spring break. Thanks for having me, Leah. That's all for this week. Thanks for listening to Getting to the Bottom of It. Getting to the Bottom of It is hosted by news editors Meredith Roten and Leah Potter and features culture editors Sydney Lee and Lindsay Pollan. This podcast is produced by managing editor Matt Colin and video editor Ariana Dunham. Music is produced by Olk Studio. Special thanks to Nia Larte and Jared Gans for joining us. See you next week.